from the Gospel according to St. Luke. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of God's servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear God from generation to generation. God has shown strength with the arm scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped God's servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy according to the promise that God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> well, I have to admit something to you. I, <laughs> I kind of got taken for a ride. Y'all have seen the Christmas cards, right? You've heard the songs, merry, meek, and mild. Just a little bit of a thing. It's just a girl, really, right? Out in the cold world, needing a big, strong Joseph to protect her. I mean, I know there's more to it than that, but, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Our religious... History, not to mention our culture, has, has a lot invested in this picture of Mary as a sort of nice, compliant Jewish girl. And, I mean, I wanted to. I, I intended to toe the company line here. You, you, really, you got to believe me. I, I, I only wanted to present this sort of standard picture. The, the Mary, you know, the Mary, the moist-eyed ingenue. Uh, Mary, the, the, the long-suffering mother to the precocious but often preoccupied Jesus. Mary, the nice girl who won the divine baby lottery. I mean, my intentions were honorable. I just wanted to get through this whole Christmas thing without causing any trouble. I mean, we're almost there. There's no point really stirring the waters. 
I mean, you all know how much I hate controversy. But how did I know what I was getting into? I mean, the lectionary said, it's a Magnificat. And, of course, I breathed a sigh of relief because, <laughs> I mean, really, how hard could that be? I mean, Mary getting told that she's going to bear the child of God. She sings a little song, and bang, we're out in time to beat the Methodists to Applebee's. I mean, it should have been easy, but then I started reading it again for now, like the 11,000th time, and I got to the end, and it, it just, it no longer feels like a safe Hallmark Christmas movie script. And I just sort of muttered to myself, dang it. Because if you really read this, I mean, it quickly becomes clear that the Magnificat isn't just nice words they use in those sort of dopey, give her a diamond ring for Christmas commercials. But this is really revolutionary stuff. See, I don't know if we if we appreciate the fact that in Luke, Mary is the very first disciple of Jesus. A disciple unlike any other disciple, one who's, who's prepared to follow even before Jesus has his first diaper change. So you'd expect that her words would be significant that they would in some way frame for Luke's gospel the path of discipleship for all who are supposed to be following Jesus. So the, the obvious question is, well, then, oh, all right, so fine. What does it say? After being told that she will bear God's child for the world, just prior to our text for this morning, Mary answers that call to discipleship, and she shows the rest of the world how it's done. She says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Now, it's interesting to note that her first response isn't, wait a minute, what do I get out of this? Instead, she immediately directs attention to what God ought rightfully to expect to get out of it, which is to say, Mary herself. And then, after visiting her cousin Elizabeth to break the news about this whole pregnancy thing, she breaks into song the one that we've learned to call the Magnificat. Now, traditionally, the Magnificat is viewed as, <clears throat> at least in my experience, sort of growing up, as this sort of charming, poetic response of a young peasant girl's simple faith in God. It's supposed to be a nice song, isn't it? I mean, sing this one and see if it doesn't get stuck in your throat. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. You see what I'm saying? Right? I mean, the Magnificat isn't an upbeat thought post that, that, that you post on your Facebook page during the holidays. I mean, this isn't material for a successories poster. There's no North Pole coziness here. I mean, frankly, this sounds more like it came from the love child of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. In fact, some scholars think that Mary's song is 
but an echo of the revolutionary chant of Jewish zealots, that, that, that band of Jewish guerrillas bent on overthrowing Roman occupation by force. Moreover, some scholars believe that this song positions Mary among that shadow group of Palestinian Jews who were known as the Anahim, which is, which is Hebrew for the poor and the oppressed, or as one writer puts it more colorfully, the, the excrement of the earth. See, this is a song that speaks about reversal. Those in the front get a divine escort to the back of the line, and those in the back finally get to sit in the owner's box for once. When the Messiah comes, those who've gotten used to warmth and comfort are going to be forced to do some serious prioritizing just in order to get a bologna sandwich and stay out of the cold. See, I knew this, this whole thing was going to cause trouble. And, 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 and that's just the, the, the thing. I, I'm a fairly normal middle class guy. I don't really deal in Molotov cocktails or hand grenades. I mean, I got two cars and a mortgage for crying out loud. I don't need this. In fact, I read this and I'm not entirely sure that Mary's not talking about me. It, it kind of scares me to read it out loud. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. It sure doesn't leave me humming, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, Christmas while sucking on a candy cane, trying to get the eggnog and garlic puffs off my breath. The problem that Mary articulates has to do with God's relationship to power. We all know what power is supposed to look like, don't we? But, but, but Mary, she's at the other end of the economic spectrum. I mean, she's from Nazareth, for crying out loud. That, 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 that's like the ancient equivalent of, Near Eastern equivalent of being from Wallens Creek on the west side of nowhere in Harlan County. And with the Annunciation, the news that she's going to be soon a single mother, Mary's position in the community takes a swan dive off the socioeconomic cliff. As far as the powers and principalities, I mean, it's almost impossible to go much lower than Mary is. The pregnant teenage mother from the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, any leverage that she'd had vanished when God showed up and told her to start pricing car seats and strollers. I mean, any power she might have had took the red eye to Tupelo. And, and, and this picture of Mary as the, the sort of self-deprecating urchin that God leans on to launch the new kingdom that God has in mind starts with our gospel for this morning. So when singing out about her new task as the God-bearer, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of God's servant. Now, Traditionally, we've interpreted this passage as sort of a, con, uh, a, a, a commentary on Mary's sort of inner modesty, her sort of unassuming nature. She's like the nice, quiet girl that every teacher wants in their class, smart, unassuming, of strong moral fiber. 
And on this reading, God looks at Mary's heart and sees in her the perfect mixture of righteousness and unpretentiousness. That is to say, God looks with favor on the kind of person that Mary is in her heart. See that, that, I mean, that's why you see all these paintings about Mary that, that sort of depict her as the model of humility and unsullied purity. But there is just one thing wrong with this interpretation. It gets everything not merely wrong, but like backwards wrong, 180 degrees wrong. See, the, the word that, that gets translated lowliness in this passage or, or uh, in the more traditional uh, King James of humble estate has usually been interpreted to mean something like meek or mild. Unfortunately for the traditional interpretations, the word tapenosin in Greek doesn't mean humility. It means rather humiliation. In other words, what endears Mary to God, at least according to Luke, has more to do with her poverty than with her probity. She, she probably is a really great person on the inside too, but that's really not apparently what God draws God's attention. God is moved by the fact that Mary's the perfect candidate for the kind of person on behalf of whom Jesus is being born to fight. A, a soon-to-be unwed mother from a backwater town on the poor side of nowhere. Her, her prospects in life added up to just about nothing. And the fact of her scandalous pregnancy was about to make her already humble status just straight-up humiliating. See, that's the thing about humiliation. It's not just about embarrassment. It's what's left after embarrassment has moved in and made a home. It's, it's the vulnerability so much of the world knows firsthand and only too well. Humiliation is, is being called boy or son when you're a man. It's being told that you're responsible because he couldn't control himself. Humiliation is trying to figure out how to keep the lights on and let alone buy Christmas presents for the kids. It's looking out over the place your family has called home for generations only to see the tornado has turned it into a landfill with no hope in sight. Humiliation is being told from the time you're young that people like you are an abomination. It's being treated like a criminal in front of your children because of the color of your skin or because of your religious attire. Humiliation is waiting in a church basement so that ice doesn't drag you away from your family and everything that you love. It's, it's having nowhere else to go and nowhere to get there even if you could go. See, I mean, humiliation isn't just a feeling, it's a state of being. A fact of life that for far too many people in the world is their only reality. And so Mary's just the perfect person to carry the child who will grow up to fight for people just like her. Those who must dine daily on the bread of tears and the fruit of shame. Now, what I find fascinating is that the Mary so 
popularly portrayed at Christmas time as, as sort of meek and deferential, not only doesn't hold up to interpretive scrutiny, it doesn't square with the words that come out of her mouth. I mean, Mary lives among the humiliated, and the words that come out of her mouth sound less like the sort of sanitized version of the, 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 the shy girl that we usually get than, 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 than like some weird mashup of, of Bell Hooks and Angela Davis. God has shown great strength with the arm. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up those who live in shame. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, that, that's not just a song of the humble. That's the battle cry of the humiliated, which captures, uh, captures what the reign of God that Jesus has come to announce is going to look like. Now, this reign projects a new world in which those who've lived so long with shame and indignity will have a liberator from the same lousy circumstances The one who's come to redeem the humiliated. One who's come to create a world in which those who've lived their lives stripped of their dignity and humanity will sit finally in the places of honor. A new world in which the forgotten and debased are now at the center instead of living perpetually on the outside looking in. Mary's singing a protest song about upheaval and reversal. She's singing the song about where God is, and where God is apparently is where the poor and the powerless are being raised up, and the rich and the powerful are being sent empty away. Apparently, God is not interested in co-opting the corridors of power, of, of sort of gaining credibility with those folks in charge. God doesn't need the powerful and the well-situated to establish this reign. All God needs are the hungry and the poor. Those who are willing to say, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Now, the question posed by Advent is, how do we who live at the front of the line make Mary's song our song? It's ironic that we, whom most of the rest of the world envies, might have to sit at the feet of Mary and Elizabeth to learn how to sing the song that God gave all of us to sing. A song about the coming Messiah. A song for the humiliated and the disposable people sung in anticipation of Emmanuel, God with us. Mary's song, the Magnificat, is the song you sing when you feel like you don't have anything left to sing for. Now, I struggle with this because the whole thing doesn't really sound like such a great thing if you happen to be comfortable in a world that was primarily constructed with people like you in mind. But if you're one of the humiliated people who've too often felt stripped bare of all pretense, then Mary's song, 
is what joy sounds like. It's what hope feels like. It's the best possible news ever. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.